Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And we're broadcasting today from Washington, D.C., where I've been attending my son's graduation. Hunter got his Bachelor of Business from George Washington University the last few days. Commencement ceremony was fabulous on the National Mall, the Capitol building at one end, and the newly reopened Washington Washington Monument behind the stage. It was terrific. And the commencement speaker was internationally renowned chef, Jose Andres, who was named by Time magazine as one of the 100 most influential people. He's recognized as a culinary innovator, arrived in America at the age of 20 with just $50. His first appointment was 100 blocks away from where he landed. He didn't want to spend his 50 bucks, so he walked. So he arrived with $50 and now probably 40 years later, he has some of the most successful restaurants in the world in Washington, Los Angeles, New York, Las Vegas, Miami, and his work for the poor is just tireless. He's been phenomenal. He gave a wonderful motivating speech to 25,000 graduates and guests in a ceremony like there's no other on the planet in the National Mall. It was great. And all of the presentations had a theme of optimism, addressing change, giving back to the community. And I was an extremely proud dad. My son was selected to give the presentation on behalf of the students at the business school graduation, where he recapped his journey and his dreams for the future. It was fabulous. About 6,000 GW students graduated on Sunday, and the overwhelming majority have got great careers to go to. Now, we often hear about the unemployed, but you think about it, there's 6,000 just at one college, and I don't know how many graduates are, are across America, but they all get absorbed into the workforce bar a few percent. We're always talking about 7% unemployed or 6% unemployed. Why don't we talk about the 94% that are employed in this fabulous, huge engine that is the United States economy? And uh, the other thing that came across loud and clear to me was I'm so confident that uh, this new generation will change the world and leave it much better than they found it. I mean, we have really fucked it up. We haven't done a great job. And we've got these kids with fantastic enthusiasm and the talent, the dedication, commitment, and I think they're going to um, be fantastic. Now, when you think about it, we were sitting on the National Mall and behind us, we had the thoroughly disappointing, self-interested, divided and disgusting American Congress. And one can only help that they listen to the GW presentations as they are broadcast up the mall. You know, we have a Congress that absolutely does nothing to help anybody, and it's time we all stood up. Come the half, you know, that we've got half-term elections. 
in about six months' time, and the reason the Republicans are going to win is because the Democrats won't get off their ass and vote. So if you're listening to this and you're a Democrat, go and knock on every door you can find and start rallying people to get out and vote. Now, if you're listening to this program for the very first time, it's a program where we we say it the way it is. You probably worked that out by now. And uh, we do everything we can to assist entrepreneurs by bringing them the latest information every week on what's happening in business throughout the world. So let's just have a look at some of this week's news. Drones. I'm big on drones. I love drones. And I know that um, a lot of people saying that they'll never be legalized. Well, don't bet on it. I think drones will soon be taking on much larger roles for both business and individuals, delivering packages to revolutionising security, changing the way even that farmers manage crops. It's all going to be done by drones. And it's uh, predicted that 12% of an estimated $98 billion in global spending on aerial drones over the next decade will be for commercial purposes. American regulators were planning on bringing in commercial drones beginning in 2015 and they'll only be able to um, weigh less than 55 pounds initially but you can do a hell of a lot with a drone that weighs 55 pounds and I believe that they will take half the trucks off the road and they'll revolutionise the way we deliver packages. Of course, currently, military applications dominate the UAV market but I think that'll change. I think Congress will clamp down on what we can do with our drones. You know, I'm not a great fan of drones flying over foreign countries and blasting people while they're at, a, at some sort of a wedding reception. I think that's got to be really clamped down on. And, of course, privacy concerns, safety concerns will probably delay commercial flights for a little while. But I think if they're rolled out gradually, there's no question that the benefits of drone-controlled commercial applications will ultimately win public opinion over. Um, I remember a couple of years ago the fuss about driverless cars. And, you know, we'd never allow driverless cars. Well, driverless cars are coming. And uh, their performance has been fantastic. There hasn't been one accident with a driverless car yet. So watch out for drones, 2015. Probably bad news for TV viewers and internet users. AT&T's confirmed that it's going to pay $48.5 billion for DirecTV as it tries to keep up with Comcast. But it's a pretty risky deal. And when was the last time you ever saw a merger that benefited the consumer? I mean, they benefit shareholders. And everybody's in there for, you know, a fast buck and a fast rise on the stock market. But consumers usually get a pretty bad deal out of that. And when you think about it, if you, if you look at the um, net debt of DirecTV, it's a $67 billion deal. That's $67,000 million to buy DirecTV. I mean with the great changes that are, that are happening in communication, I don't know that that's such a great investment 
They'll have 26 million customers in the US and they'll have 18 million in Latin America. But still, watch the share price. I think the share price will come down. Now, Comcast, of course, has gotten really big, so AT&T needed to get bigger too. You know, they tried to buy T-Mobile for $39 billion a couple of years ago, but the Justice Department intervened and screwed that up. AT&T since then has been flatlined. Its stock has risen only 10% in the last two years, while the S&P has um, risen four times as much. Pay TV's got a very uncertain future in an era where offerings like Netflix and video consumption on mobile devices are seeing humongous growth. And while DirecTV stock has tripled in the past, quadrupled in the past five years, I think that has now come to an end. Sprint may now be prompted to buy T-Mobile. Dish Network will probably come into play very soon. As I said before, none of this is going to help the consumer. You know, there'll be share repurchases and higher dividends, so it'll all be good for the um, shareholders. But reduced competition usually means higher fees. Facebook has been concerned a lot about Snapchat that has been growing at a tremendous rate. And, of course, as we know, Facebook's pretty stagnant. So Facebook's decided to go head-to-head with Snapchat as it tries to win back some, um, some users. And the new service is tipped to be called Slingshot. Now, it's all very hush-hush and secretive at the moment, but Mark Zuckerberg is apparently personally overseeing the new project. So watch out for Slingshot to hit with great fanfare very shortly. The next piece of news this week, I think, is Uber. I mean, Uber's just such an unbelievable business. I mean, that's got to be one of the great ideas of all time. And, you know, most people know it as the app that helps you get taxis. It's um, now in 118 cities around the world, and they're out raising a new round of finance that, according to Bloomberg, could raise the car service startup, value it at more than $10 billion. And some estimates are saying that it's a $100 billion company, which you think about all the fuss with, um, with Facebook and their valuation and their um, IPO, which was a fraction of that. So how can Uber be worth so much money? How can it be worth $100 billion? Well, firstly, there's a couple of things. It's just getting started. You know, it hasn't been going that long. It's only in a few markets now, and it's a massive hit. So it's got a long way to go. There's 60 cities in America that have got more than a million people. And, um, you know, the, the potential growth in those markets, I think most people still don't quite understand Uber. Secondly, it's much more than a car hire company, isn't it? It's, it's the next generation logistics. It, it's going to take on FedEx and UPS. It's a direct competitor. So if you've never used Uber, here's how it works. You push a button on your smartphone and that summons a ride. A few minutes later, during which time you actually chart the driver's path to where, from where they are to where you are, 
and up a company. Now, the driver doesn't accept cash, not even a tip. Instead, the app automatically charges the passenger's credit card after the, the transaction's complete. Then both the customer and the driver rate each other. An Uber takes 20% commission. The driver gets the other 80%. So what's their growth potential? When you think about it, Uber recently launched a package delivery program in New York that lets users hail bike messengers. It's also experimented with on-demand helicopter rides, delivering flowers, and a whole bunch more. It's as easy as giving drivers a phone with an app on it and saying, look, when the thing's blinking, hit the screen and go where the map tells you to go and do whatever the person at the other end tells you they want to do. The company is highly profitable. Its revenue projection, now you think it's only a new company. Its revenue projections for 2014 are $3 billion income giving them $400 million a year in cash. Now, there's a business. And, uh, you know, it's not guaranteed to dominate the world of logistics, but it's off to a really good start. It's got, it's got competition like Halo, Sidecar and Lyft. And, um, you know, there's a few cities that are giving Uber um, some legal problems. But that's just the cab companies. You know, the cab companies are so ingrained, so entrenched, so old-fashioned, the cabs are like shit, they give you nothing, and you're paying through the roof for it, protected by the government. Time they went, Uber will win, and I think that um, Uber will certainly be a $100 billion company in the next few years. Another topic that came up during the week was talking about entrepreneurs and how much of their companies they try to hold on to. And most entrepreneurs that I meet are determined to hang on to um, more than 50% of their startups. However, you know, the reality is that most startup founders will ultimately give up more than 90% of their business. And, uh, you know, many people, particularly in the tech industry, dream of building a startup, making it grow, taking it public and getting mega rich along the way. Well, one thing that most entrepreneurs don't realise is that by the time a tech company goes public, the founders usually own very little of it. More often than not, founders own less than 10% of their own companies. For instance, Aaron Levy, the founder of Box, will own only 6% of the company after IPO. Zandex co-founder Mikkel Svein will only own 8% of Zendesk after its IPO. So why are founders willing to give up 92% of their business? Well, Many CEO founders aren't worried about the size of their stake and don't concern themselves with ultimate control. The fun was in the building. And a lot of them realise their limitations and um, are happy to pass control over to someone with CEO skills. Very seldom is an entrepreneur an effective CEO. Very seldom. 
investors also know that, you know, founders are integral to the success of the company. So they want the founders to succeed. They don't stand in their way or on their toes unless there's a real serious reason. And entrepreneurs who are prepared to step back, hand over the roles of their company to someone who's a professional CEO, they're the ones that usually succeed. And the only time there's any trouble usually is when the business gets into strife. And that's when the CEO founder, the initial entrepreneur, is likely to be ousted. So founders also tend to give um, significant stakes to their engineers early in the piece because they're dependent on their engineers to build the product so they can't afford them to leave, so they reward them with great chunks of stock. And then as the company grows, and many companies now may go and raise money six or seven times, and each time they're being diluted. So as the founders, as they raise more funds, they get more and more diluted. The percentage of the company they own gets smaller and smaller. But it's not all bad news because the value of the company each time they raise money increases. So they're getting a much smaller slice of a much bigger pie. And uh, that's much more important than having control. I once had a, a boss, a fellow named Kerry Packer, who was the most successful and wealthiest guy in Australia. And he used to say to me, it's not the percentage of the company you own, it's how many shares you've got and what value they are. That's the only thing that's really important to you. And that's true. So every time you expand into a new geographical area or you further develop your product, you will um, dilute the company. And every time they raise a round, they dilute their shareholding. Mark Bynioff, who's the CEO, co-founder of Salesforce.com, and we're all very familiar with Salesforce, he he only owns 7% of his company. So Salesforce, we all get pushed by them all the time. He's got 7% of the company, but that 7% is now worth 2.5%. Two billion dollars. So it doesn't matter a rat's ass that he's only got seven percent. He's got two point two billion bucks. That's a heap. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now the whole reason we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, don't hesitate to email me. It's Bob at BobPritchard.com. And we'll either answer it on air or we'll email you directly. But um, please make sure you get in touch with us. And don't forget to become our contacts on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. We're all across all of those, so make sure you keep in contact. Now, after the break, I'm going to be talking with Ron Kaufman. And I've spoken with Ron a couple of times. The last time I spoke with him was in Singapore. And he's the world's leading authority on customer service. He's the author of 14 books. And the last book that I read of his, which was Uplifting Service, is fantastic. 
So making transportation his mission, Ron is one of the world's most sought-after educators, consultants, thought leaders and customer service speakers on the topic of superior service. He really is a great speaker. So if you're looking for a fantastic speaker on customer service and I'm not available, call Ron. He's great. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and USA Today. He's a great guy, and we had some fun. So you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back with Ron Kaufman in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. The show designed to assist SMEs to implement simple disciplines in their business that will make an immediate improvement to their profitability. In this segment, we interview an expert in an area that is of critical importance to business. About 10 years ago, I worked with my next guest, Ron Kaufman. I'm sure we were comparing notes earlier in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and I was blown away by his extraordinary knowledge and practical applications to improve customer service. Those of you who listen to my show regularly will appreciate that I believe that knock-your-socks-off customer service that creates viral word of mouth is the major key to the success of any business. Ron is the real deal. He's a graduate of Brown University, studied in France, London and Berkeley, and lives in Singapore. He's been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and has made loads of TV appearances in the States and elsewhere. Ron's the author of Uplifting Service, and he's got 14 other books on service, business, and inspiration. Ron, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show. Bob, it's a pleasure to be here with you and all your listeners. It's great to talk to you again. Nice to hear your voice. Um, In your book, Uplifting Service, you say that the world is in a service crisis. Why do you say that? Well, the crisis is one that's affecting all of us. 
first of all, getting good quality customer service is not always easy to do these days. Anyone who's listening right now would know that from the position of being a customer. But the other part of the crisis is that many service providers are frustrated to the point of almost being resentful or cynical. So you've got a lose-lose situation going on both sides. And since service is so prevalent in our lives, anyone who has a small business is a service provider, sure. but we also have government service. We've got military service. If you go to church, it's called a religious service. Service is everywhere, and yet it's not being well done. So this is a crisis that actually touches everyone. It's interesting because my perspective is that um, you know, give customers great service has been a mantra for as long as I can remember. It's been just drummed into everybody. And companies spend millions of dollars on customer service training each year. Why the hell isn't it working? Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, Bob? They're spending millions of dollars on customer service training, and yet every year it seems to wear off if it even works in the first place. Hmm. And what's going wrong there is that we're not fundamentally educating people about the foundational principles of service. We're treating it like training, like here's the script, or do this, or do that. And it's very shallow, a lot of what it's being taught, like the customer's always right, which we know is not the case. Yeah. In the book, Uplifting Service, one of the things that I've done is revealed the fundamental service principles that everyone in an organization should understand and be able to apply, whether they're an internal service provider, like the finance department, manufacturing, warehousing, legal, or those who are facing the external customer. All of us need to be able to speak and use a common service language, and that's missing today. Yeah, interestingly, um, I have this sneaking suspicion that service in most industries is actually improving. But because we expect so much more and we're in an era of instant gratification, the level of service actually appears to be going backwards when in fact it's not. It, the gap's getting bigger between what we want and what we're getting, but service is actually marginally improving. You yes, disagree I agree with that? I know I agree with you, Bob. I think service is improving, and that's partly due to technology. It's partly due to the tight economic times, and people realize they need to keep the good customers that they've got. But what you pointed out in terms of technology also has opened up this world of social media. And so the risk of even one negative service experience being delivered by a member of your staff or by somebody on your team, that risk has shot up. Absolutely. The ability of things to go viral through social media, and you know how much people love to complain. Yeah. So then what's required in an organization to succeed in service is that every single person in the organization recognize that they are a service provider. And the leaders of organizations, whether they're large or small, has to actually build a culture of service that supports every service provider to continually provide great service to every colleague and customer every day. You're only as strong as your weakest link, aren't you? You put it very clearly, Bob. That's the case. Um, now, one would have thought that technology would have made it so much easier for people to give fantastic service. Um, yes. Why has it? I mean, well, technology has a very specific role. It should track. It should measure. It should deploy. It's ideal for making sure that accuracy is in place, that timing is handled. But technology will never be able to replace, nor should it, that human-to-human -human interface. And it is people 
understanding, listening to the concerns of other people, and then responding to those concerns with appropriate service, that's a human function. So I say that technology should lift the load. It should take the burden off the service provider to let that human being do what only human beings can do. Unfortunately, our world has gotten so fascinated by what technology can do that many people have forgotten how important they are and their colleagues are in actually providing that human interface of service. Yeah, I think too many people in an organization think that it's somebody else's role to provide good customer service and they forget all about internal customer service as well as external customer service. That's a great point. In fact, the term internal customer is one that I recognize, I recommend that my clients not use. I say that inside the organization, rather than thinking of ourselves as customers to each other, let's think of ourselves as service partners. We're here to work closely together to do the best job we can to provide a great service experience to the real customer, and that's the one who has a choice about where to bring his or her money. Yeah, true. Now, when most people think of service, they think about retail, restaurants, and I guess generally they think about the hospitality industry. Is that where you see the most demand? Well, it's fascinating. Those industries that are traditional in service, retail, hospitality, food and beverage, transportation, they've been working on this for a long time. It's in so many other industries where products are so easily copied today, where commoditization and price competition has almost eliminated the ability for one company to differentiate from another. That's where we're seeing a huge step up by really leading-edge, forward-thinking business owners and business leaders who say, the best way for me to differentiate from my competition is not based on my product or my price. So based on the quality of service experience that we create, the value we create through that service that will keep our customers coming back. And, of course, customer service is much broader than just um, uh, sort of giving people the product in a friendly way. It's about providing information. It's about providing great um, technical support. It's about making sure that the, um, the tradesperson that comes around to your house doesn't show his bum crack. I mean, it's a whole bunch of things, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, but it is, a, and they're all things we great, forget about. That's all terrific, Bob. You got me there on the bum crack. <laughs> um, in the book, Uplifting Service, right at the beginning, I provide a definition that I think really should almost be taught in schools, which is this. Service is taking action to create value for someone else. And as you pointed out, what different customers value at different times is going to vary. Sometimes what they want is speed. Can we get this done fast? But the same person at another time could say, whoa, 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 slow down. Explain to me how this works. They may want education or information. And so what we need to do is educate our people that service is taking action to create value for another person. And the first step in that is to understand what does that other person value and realize that great service is giving them that. Yep. not just following a standard routine procedure. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Um, you say the customer service is a two-way street. What do, you, what do you exactly mean by that? I exactly agree with that. Look, there's always the service provider, but the other half of customer service is the customer. And one of the points that I make in the book is that each person, when you are a customer, there's a lot that you can actually do to increase the quality of service you get and therefore increase your own satisfaction. And one of it starts by realizing that that other person serving you, hey, they're a human being too. 
and they've got a job to do. And if you bring a good mood and a sense of appreciation and clarity about your needs to them, it makes it so much easier for them to serve you. That old phrase of what goes around comes around, it's really true. You know, the attitudes are contagious, positive and negative. Yeah, people tend to have a a bit of a um, uh, look down their nose at, at some people that serve them and help them, don't they? Yeah, well, that's really a very inappropriate thing. It's one of the things that I adore about Australia, by the way. My wife's Australian, is that, you know, it's good day, mate. And how you going? And we're in this together. And I think that that way of seeing and being in the world is an incredibly positive one. All of us in the world are here to be in service to each other. So let's not have any of this looking down the nose at whoever may be taking care of you and thinking just because you're the customer, you're on a high horse. We're in this together. We're uplifting service together. I I can say that, you know, Australians might have a great attitude towards people, but that customer service in Australia, in the main, I think is dreadful. Um, Compared with the US, you know, I've lived in California for donkey's years, and I think the customer service is just so much better um, in, in many, many ways. But... Well, in many ways, and I think worldwide, all of us realize, as you pointed out earlier, that customer expectations are rising. And so the quality of service that each of us needs to learn to provide and our organizations need to provide also needs to keep stepping up, too. And the less competition there is, the the poorer the service is. You know, if you're in Australia and your phone goes down and you ring Telstra, you spend two hours on the phone to Telstra and they'll come and see you sometime next Tuesday between 7am and midnight. Um, In the States, you ring, I'll just use um, Time Warner as a, their mic provider you ring Time Warner and there's somebody there within sort of two hours and they almost pinpoint to the minute when they're going to be there it's a it's a whole different ballgame anyway well I'm, I'm pleased to report that on my Christmas vacation I was in Esperance Australia and my mother-in-law had an issue with Telstra and she called them and they actually gave her great service so and the reason I point that out is not to disagree with you but to point out that the I think the entire world is recognizing that this thing service is not just a soft, fuzzy, nice to have, but it's actually become a fundamental and critical element of success. It always has been, but even more so as we go into the future. Um, You've worked all over the world. Do different cultures have different service standards and expectations? Some cultures better at uh, customer service than others? Uh, you know, it's it, it, first of all, the first part is absolutely true, that in different cultures, people do have different expectations about what it is that you should do that's great service. But what's common is that everybody's looking for a great service experience. Yes. So once again, it comes back to the service provider whose job needs to be understanding the person that they're serving and not saying, well, what's my procedure, what's my checklist, what's my process, I'm doing the right thing, but rather what would be the right thing for that person, given their background, given their needs, given their situation. And in today's very multicultural world, where SMEs can serve people from all over the world and will need people from all over the world, that sensitivity on our part as service providers really needs to keep stepping up. Are you difficult to please as a customer? 
I'm actually one of the best people to have as your customer because in the event that I'm not pleased, in the event that I am pleased, I'll let you know. But in the event that I'm not pleased, I can actually help to diagnose the situation and give specific actionable recommendations to a service provider about exactly what they can do to step up and become a better service provider. And that's what really the whole book is about. It's not just a bunch of nice stories or best practice examples, but taking those examples and then showing the readers specifically what the action steps are that they can take to be able to improve service and deliver a higher quality and value of service at each point to each customer every day and from any position. Ron, it's been great speaking to you again. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your absolutely frenetic schedule. I thought I was busy, but boy, you're busy. And if you'd like to know more about Ron, go to his website, www.ronkaufman.com. I'll do that again. www.ronkaufman.com and get his book, Uplifting, Uplifting Service, at your favorite bookstore or at Amazon.com. I'll be back with you in a couple of minutes with the second half of our show just after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Bob Pritchard, straight talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. It comes to you at the same time every week on the Voice America Business Network. The show's all about applauding and helping entrepreneurs, whether you're in retail, a plumber, a landscape gardener, or if you're running a dry cleaner. It doesn't matter whether you're 10, 100, whether you're a male or a female, whether you're black, green, or pink, if you're an entrepreneur and you're prepared to get off your butt and go out and give it a shake, then we applaud you. You know, most entrepreneurs, first time round, fail. That's the way it is. But 
Entrepreneurs keep picking themselves up, dusting themselves off, and having another go. And, uh, you know, business is like any other endeavor, I guess, that um, the more you understand, the more you know, then the more chance you've got of being successful. I remember a few years ago, you know, I'm one of those people that's not very handy. And uh, I was building something and I kept on bending the nails. I kept on trying to put them in straight, but they kept bending. And somebody said to me, you know, if you run the nail through your hair before you hammer it in, then it'll go in much easier because the grease on your hair puts a layer on the nail and when you hit it, it just slides through the wood easier. And that sounded to me like a bit of a, you know, an old wives' tale, but I tried it and hardly ever bent a nail since. I mean, it really does make a difference and that's just a simple little tip that builders use. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of very simple tips that, other businesses and marketers and accountants that look after small businesses can give you that can save you from making mistakes. So this show is all about applauding entrepreneurs. And uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, you might have heard when we had a number of entrepreneurs under 13 years old that had all made multi-millions of dollars. So you can be an entrepreneur Young And one of the great things about college these days is that something like 15% of students that go to college start up a business on the side on the way through. And we need to applaud that. Government needs to assist that. Um, in my view, anybody who um, starts a business in college, if that business is still going a couple of years later, um, they should get assistance from the from the government, and uh, the more people they employ, their um, the amount they have to pay back decreases until it gets to zero. So encourage entrepreneurs all you can. And if you're if you're a businessman or you've been an entrepreneur yourself and you've now made it and you're successful, start investing in startups. Start helping all those people that are out there that are trying to raise money and get themselves off the ground. Today, I'd like to applaud a guy named Rick Firth and his son, Jamie. They're in Australia, and they've come up with a fantastic idea called Go To Rewards. Very simple, G-O for go, and the number two, rewards. And the concepts for the concept is really simple. Consumers can become a go-to reward member at absolutely no cost, nothing. You just apply and you become a member, you get the app. And uh, any merchant can become a go-to merchant. Uh, And it doesn't matter what they are. You can be a retailer, you can be an architect, you can be a panel shop, you can be an accountant, anything at all that um, sells a service to the public you can become a go-to rewards merchant. And every time a member buys anything at all from a merchant member, they get a discount off their next fuel purchase up to 
a dollar a litre. Now, that's equivalent to about $4.25 a gallon discount off your fuel in the United States. So that's huge. I mean, just imagine going to your gas station in the States and getting your fuel, fuel for free. Zero. Nada just for buying what you'd normally buy anyway. So you don't have to buy anything different than what you go out and buy every day. But every time you buy something from a go-to rewards merchant, you get money off your next gas purchase. So it's it's an unbelievable program. So like most successful entrepreneurs, Rick and Jamie conducted a beta program in and around the small town of Grafton, in Australia, got a population, I suppose, in the area of like, 20,000 people or so, so not a bad um, beta area. And go-to rewards went gangbusters. Members were ecstatic because every time they went, it, they'd, they'd shop, do their normal shopping during the week, and then when they filled up their car with gas, they got $50 discount. Wow, <laughs> jeez, I'd love to get $50 discount every time I went. Now, you're thinking in the States, you just fill up your tank and it wouldn't cost you a nickel. Now, so the member works really well for the members who get the cheap gas, but then think about it. What the, I Before I did this promo, I spoke to a number of the merchants, and merchants are saying, you know, getting more people coming through our stores because people are actually out there looking for go-to merchants. So instead of buying your groceries at one store that isn't a go-to member, they just buy the same groceries at another store that is a go-to member and bingo, their gas becomes progressively cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So the merchants that I spoke to are getting increased foot traffic, increased sales, and they have to give, the way this is financed is that every time a member buys something at a go-to merchant, the merchant rebates a commission to go to rewards and that subsidizes the, the fuel. But... You know, if you if you're a small business, advertising's expensive. It's expensive to go out there and advertise something and promote your business. This way, just by putting a sticker on your window that says "Go to Rewards Merchant," people are looking for you because everybody wants to save money on fuel. It's a pain in the butt. Fuel. It's just one of those things that you have to use just to go about your everyday life, and it's expensive. So. It's a win-win situation. Merchants get a lot more customers and members get cheap fuel. And next Monday, they are launching the program in a full-on launch on the Gold Coast in Queensland. It's an area of about half a million people and they're hoping to achieve the same level of results that they did in the beta trial. Then on Tuesday, and I think this is a really cute idea, on Tuesday they're having the official launch at a Freedom gas station on the Gold Coast with politicians and business people and celebrities and media, and they've got food and drinks and lots of entertainment, 
a couple of very short speeches. But during the two-hour launch, they're giving away to lucky motorists fuel at a dollar a litre off. That's the equivalent of $4.25 in the US discount on every gallon of gas. Now, I'm tipping that there's going to be pandemonium as motorists line up for miles to get cheap fuel. But while they'll do that on Tuesday, which is the launch day, they can then go on and do that every week forever just by shopping at GoTo Rewards Merchants. This is the best part. It's estimated that GoTo Rewards could save Gold Coast residents, that's just this 500,000 people, up to $40 million a year on fuel. $40 million bucks, a very simple app, app created by a couple of very creative people. That is awesome. Now, this is what you've heard first right here. The next stop for GoTo Rewards, of course, it's going to roll out across Australia, just an automatic rollout from the Gold Coast. But the next stop is Los Angeles. So watch out, Angelinos. Almost free gas is on its way. Free gas. I can see lineups from here to Anaheim. Compliments of GoTo Rewards. So, to Rick and Jamie Firth and their absolutely fantastic marketing team, we're at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We salute you. You are our entrepreneurs of the week. A great idea, great initiative. You've played it smartly. So, congratulations. We'll keep you posted on how this goes and we'll certainly let you know when... We come into Los Angeles with go-to rewards. Now to our emails of the week. Although most of our emails are from the United States, I want to acknowledge our listeners in other countries. So each week I try to answer at least one email from our international listeners. So even though I might be answering an email from the owner of a company who makes window frames, the answer will probably also apply to you in your business. So, you know, we, we at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we're all about helping you, helping small business people. So the first email today comes from Kelsey Mainwaring of Colchester in England. And uh, Kelsey sent this email. Dear Bob, I really enjoy your program. Your advice is extremely helpful. Well, thanks very much, Kelsey. I appreciate that. He goes on to say, Bob, I suppose Kelsey's a guy, right? I'm not quite sure. Bob, how do I get customers to find my business and decide to purchase my products? And how should I be spending my advertising dollars? Kelsey, the answers become much more complex, you know, because of the rapidly increasing range of channels that can be used in the, you know, the and the pervasive growth of new media, particularly smartphones. Consumers are using an average of eight different media to research their local purchases. 
You know, before you buy anything, now you go on to online. I get on my phone all the time, and I'm all constantly looking for places where I can buy things that are close, local, and at a reasonable price, and have got good customer service. And this is up a lot from just a few years ago. Small businesses, though, I must admit, they're stepping up to the challenge, advertising now in an average of five media. Now, that, that's up from three just a few years ago. And to stretch your budget further, you need to get smarter about choosing how much to spend on which media channel because you have so many choices that you really need to be smart about it. So building an effective media mix means that you have to know where to advertise, how many potential customers are actively searching for your product or service in your local catchment area over the course of a year. There's no use taking a, a medium that most of the coverage is outside your catchment area. What media are your potential customers using for their search? Firstly, you need to effectively drive one key message home. Now, consumer behaviour varies from one type of purchase to another, so you have to know all about the consumers who are buying your particular product or service. For instance, the percentage of consumers who are looking for specific products in all media vary enormously. If you're looking at auto-wrecking, it's just 1%. For painting contractors, it's 3%. For musical instruments, it's only 4%. But for office supplies, it's over 30%. And people looking for pizza, it's 66%. So you need to look at the percentage for your product or service and apply that to your local population and you get a sense of just how many leads are out there for your advertising to attract. Next, you need to take a look at media consumption among those shoppers so you can get a sense of how many leads you can reach per channel. Now, this also varies widely. Thanks to the boom, you need to just work that out. For restaurants... Coupons are king. 43% of consumers said they use coupons as part of their dining out decisions. And this is compared to just 29% using online services, 21% for newspapers, and 15% still using print yellow pages. Can you believe it? But for new car dealers something like 70% of consumers are using online services ahead of all other media. So that's no surprise, I don't suppose, with the explosion of car shopping sites. But when it comes time for that auto to be fixed, for auto repair shops, the action swings to print yellow pages. 21.4% of consumers use print yellow pages when looking up auto repairs versus only 21% for online services. That's kind of weird. Bridal shop advertising is another business that's moved heavily to the internet. 
53% of people say they consult bridal websites. Television, 24%. Well, I guess it's hard to find bridal shop ads on TV. I can't remember ever seeing one, but I suppose they're out there. If you're looking for funeral directors, plumbers, new glass for windows, roofing contractors, electricians, the Yellow Pages still does really well. I must admit, when my Yellow Pages gets delivered, I dice it. For some products and services, local shoppers are paying equal attention to lots of types of media. For people seeking general contractors, 26% use online and about the same percentage use print yellow pages. Yet for carpet and rug cleaners, around about 24% use pink, pink, print yellow pages and 22% use online services, but 24% use coupons. So coupons seem to be big everywhere. And growing. I must admit, I use coupons all the time. I'll check up to see what coupons are around. And because uh, some of the bargains on coupons are huge. So don't look at the numbers and take the easy way out by placing all your bets on any one form of media. You've got to have a good marketing mix. So if you're advertising on only one channel, you'll eventually hit a point of diminishing returns. That means you'll eventually be spending more money to reach far less people. You can be much more effective by spreading the same budget across several media types. Plus, ad studies have shown that there's a reinforcing effect when any ad me- when you come across an ad message on three or four or five or six or seven different vehicles, it continually reinforces the message. And you th- start thinking, gee, I've seen that everywhere. So it gives the company a lot more strength and dimension. So Kelsey, it all begins with knowing where your customers search, track that, and you're on on your way to creating a marketing mix that will maximize every dollar that you spend. Now tomorrow, because we read your email on air, we will send you out a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets. I'm sure that you'll enjoy it. Remember, the Bob Pritchard Show is here to help small businesses succeed. That's our one aim in life. Just a reminder, if you missed my April newsletter and would like to receive my May newsletter, even though we're getting to the tail end of May, go to bobpritchard.com and register, and I'll get you out a copy of the newsletter. Don't forget, I want to hear from you, so visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for the newsletter, email me, tweet me, Facebook me, become my friend on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come at the same time every week. This is Bob Pritchard and the Voice America Business Network, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.